Hey, .NET Rocks fans. Richard and I are going to be at the Dev Intersection Conference at the Marriott Grand Lakes in Orlando, Florida, April 13th through 16th. Come see your favorite speakers, Scott Guthrie, Scott Hanselman, John Papa, Billy Hollis, Brian Noyes, Dan Wallin, Todd Anglin, Tim Huckabee, Michelle Bustamante, Miguel Castro, Duval Lowy, Kathleen Dollard, and many more. Go to devintersection.com to register now. You'll save 200 bucks if you register on or before February 24th, $100 if you register between February 25th and March 31st, and you can save an additional 50 bucks by specifying .NET Rocks is how you heard about the conference. More details at devintersection.com. We'll see you in April. .NET Rocks episode 962 with guest Marcel DeVries. Recorded live Tuesday, March 11th, 2014. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And by Franklin's.net, makers of Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back. It's .NET Rocks. It's Carl. It's Richard. It's a whole lot of fun. You know you love it. You're here again, too. Hey, Richard, what's up? I, you know, well, I guess when this show's published, I'm in Mexico trying to relax. So there you go. I think it's funny that right now you and I are geographically closer than we normally are when we do a show. Yeah. Yeah, you're in Acapulco and I'm in Austin, Texas. Yeah, for, uh, for you, know, you get a chance to play and I get to get a chance to lie on the beach. Yeah, it's, it's all fun. Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. Okay. All right. Roll the music for Better Know a Framework. All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, I found an interesting site, uh, an interesting tool, actually. And disclaimer, I have not used it, so I don't know, you know, I, I can't say from experience what this is all about. But I can read it to you and hope that somebody will comment in on it. Um, haven't been a whole lot of downloads yet because it's fairly new. But here it is, WPF Composites. So if you go to wpfcomposites.codeplex.com, you'll see this. Uh, it was updated March 8th, 2014, which was three days ago from this recording. Here's the story. WPF Composites may enable a rapid application development approach to building fluent WPF desktop apps and or Windows Store desktop apps for Windows 8. And there's a question mark there. So, you know, they're, they're sort of saying, this might be cool. You know, yeah. try it. Check it out. Well, the, and the asterisk is the important part because it actually says, I haven't actually submitted a desktop after the Windows Store using WPF Composites, so I can't vouch for whether right. or not an app created with this library would actually pass or fail the app certification requirements. But here's the idea. Um, it provides an alternative, and this is reading right off the, uh, right off the screen, it provides an alternative, concise, C-sharp, or Iron Python, or F-sharp code behind approach to managing WPF UI framework element composites. WPF composites are normally managed via XAML and data templates, but this library uses IDs and XY coordinates instead 
to position elements on the screen. So it's currently for synchronous apps only and not designed to be thread safe. And he welcomes volunteers. So basically, no XAML. And using a grid approach, basically just position framework elements on the screen. You know, old school. Wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. It's worth taking a look at. No XAML. Yeah. And um, there's an update. Version 5 converts all events into uh, reactive observables consistently. So there's using reactive extensions. Interesting. 100% code behind zero XAML has CSS-like selectors, has generators to generate multiple framework elements based on a single prototype element's properties. For example, create a button and automatically clone it five times. Supports 26 different WPF controls. Just added sorting to the panels, too, to allow sorting a grid, stack panel, dock panel, wrap panel, tree view, and data grid. It's kind of interesting. It is interesting. And I got here, actually, because I was just looking for discussions on uh, data binding in WPF, which I find maddening, and uh, MVVM uh, as, a, as a great way to sort of get around a lot of those limitations, and then just the limitations of MVVM and trying to find people who are doing different things with UI and WPF. And there it is. It's definitely different. Definitely. So, you know, some brave soul out there, go ahead, take a first spin and tell us tell us what you think. Sure. Uh, I just was checking the specs on it, and it's been built by this guy named Brian Prendergast. So Maybe worth a show. Perhaps it is. We'll see what happens. Yeah. All right. Know cool. it, learn it, love it. Richard, who's talking to us? I grabbed a comment off of show 865, which is going back a little ways. That's when Hendrik Loesch was talking to us about testing with Visual Studio 2012. Yeah. And this comment comes from Robert Bartley, who says, Hi, guys, I've listened to your show since day one, and more recently on my phone for my weekly commute to the head office. Nice. I must say it's interesting here to a TDD, BDD guy to have on your show. I guess this kind of topic will always drill up on strong opinions about this and that, but I'm going to stick with what I consider to be a true scenario of usage. Parameterized input for unit tests cause me no end of grief. When the unit test breaks, I get the method name that broke, and that's about it. So say I've got an attributed test that takes a number of I enumerals. Now, if this test case data class contains a lot of properties as input for the test, it is nearly impossible to work out what test is failing unless you run the lot locally, which I can live with, but I find it annoying. We're using TeamCity for the continuous integration, and it lists out the data which is failing, but again, it's not that seamless. In the past, to deal with this kind of issue, I've found it easier to use T4 templates to generate a stub for individual test cases. But when there's a problem with a failing test, then at least I can find the unique signature. But more important in my mind is the textual description of the test intention. So he, I mean, the whole thing he needs here is the parameter set. He's not getting the parameter set back. I think MS test is fine in what it provides, but I would just like to see continuous feedback loops in stuff like Oak or Ruby. I currently use testdriven.net to run tests, and I find the rerun last test context invaluable when assigned to a shortcut key doing TDD. The test runs in the background and writes to the output window, allowing the, to focus on the primary objective of writing some business functionality. So very specific issues around trying to do testing fast, which is not an easy thing to do. Yeah, not at all. Well, Robert, I'm with you, and uh, certainly we're, we're addressing more testing topics uh, lately in the show. Maybe this one will help you. 
And uh, I will send a .NET Rocks mug out to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And those apps are built by Diatom Enterprises. We'd love to build you an app. Just go to DiatomEnterprises.com. And that brings us to our guest. Marcel DeVries spends most of his time helping organizations build enterprise applications and implementing application lifecycle management practices and tooling. Marcel works for a Dutch company called InfoSupport, and his job title there is Technology Manager. As a technology manager, Marcel spends most of his time looking at how new emerging technologies can help organizations build better quality software and do this in a more productive way. Marcel has a passion for learning new technologies and teaching the things he learned on the way when applying technology to solve business problems. Welcome to the show, Marcel. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And might I say, Skype sounds very nice from Holland. <laughs> well, I, I'm currently in Las Vegas, so um, I'm and, here at the VS Live show. And might I say, Skype sounds magnificent from Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> right. I've actually had uh, had great uh, experiences across the world. Actually, we were talking to somebody in, in uh, Australia recently on Skype, and it sounded great. You, you know, you never, and Richard thinks it's because of where I am in New London is near a trunk of the internet. And we just happened to get a really great path that day. Yeah. So for the Netherlands, that's the same since we are more or less on the backbone back to uh, um, the, the Oce- oceanic cables. Yeah. So uh, we have a big uh, pipe there as well. So normally uh, uh, quality is pretty good. So, Richard, I guess you went looking for um, so the, a definitive expert on coded UI tests and, uh, and found Marcel. Um, Marcel, you've actually done uh, the Pluralsight videos on this, and it uh, seems like you're the guy. Well, thank you. Yes, uh, that's, that's true. So I just published uh, my course. Uh, what was it? Beginning of February. So I uh, spent quite some time on coded UI. So, yeah. There's a lot. To, there's a lot of good stuff in there. So. And there's a, this is one of those things that might might be just a, an area of dark darkness for most developers. We might not even know anything about coded UI. What is it? Yeah. So code, coded UI is a, a technology that helps you uh, build tests that run against your user, user interface. So um, when you normally have a website and you would like to drive that website, you can then simulate user input. And the same goes for other technologies like WPF or just Windows Forms. And this is a so, Microsoft technology? Yes, it's uh, standard in your uh, premium or ultimate edition. So uh, it's, it's just available there. So this, it's part of Studio and people just don't know about it? Uh, probably, yeah. So you see a lot of people when they start doing, for example, web testing, uh, they uh, rapidly move to uh, uh, technologies like Selenium, um, but they're not even aware of the fact that it's already part of Visual Studio uh, um, and you can use their coded UI test to run them. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So just didn't know it was there. Oh, I, yeah. cer- I certainly didn't. And um, the, I wonder if, if uh, we're just in the dark and everybody else knew. Uh, or, or do you or do you find that um, most people don't know? 
Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I see that a lot of people just look away from Microsoft technologies uh, when they are looking for test stuff. Well, there's a lot of stuff in the Visual Studio suite itself. Um, the same, same with other t uh, technologies that are in the in the box. For example, when you use Ultimate Edition uh, and you have their IntelliTrace, this is also one of the most valuable debugger tools that I know of. Uh, historical debugging. Mm. It's it's in there, but nobody knows it, and uh, only a few people are actually using it. Yeah, and it's been there since what 2010. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's walk through a test. How does it work? Yeah. So, uh, uh, Coded UI is just based on MS Test itself. So that means that you can uh, uh, take multiple routes. You can write it by hand if you want. Um, but there's also this option of uh, recording your tests. So uh, what you can do is you can fire up a new test project of the type Coded UI uh, project. And when you do that, um, it will prompt you first, uh, asking you what kind of route would you like to take on building these tests. Now, Microsoft itself advertises that you start with a recording. Uh, in my course, I, I go into detail and length uh, why you would or wouldn't uh, take that route uh, yourself. Uh, I personally prefer more uh, like the code-first approach, uh, most of the time... Uh, press cancel there and just start coding against the coded UI object model. But um, you can just use the, the recorder if you want to. Yeah. Um, so what you do is you just then uh, start the recorder, play, um, click the record button, and um, then everything you do on your screen will be captured. Um, and it will be captured in a very um, um, a nice way. It, it not only... Um, does it understand the fact that you're, for example, clicking on the Internet Explorer icon and then go to a website and it can replay that? No, it, it understands what they say intends. So what it will do is it will more or less discover the fact that you click the IE button and that your intent was to start a browser. So that way the code that gets generated is more resilient for, uh, for example, having an icon on your desktop. Um, instead of that, you can, it will just start Internet Explorer for you uh, in ever which location that might be installed. And then what can you do with that test once you have it? Yeah, so once you have it, um, it generates for you uh, a lot of code, uh, and that code can then be incorporated in your test. So what you can then do is uh, can, you can just write more or less a unit test, uh, as you're used to with, uh, with MS test. Um, you uh, attribute your method as being a test method, and from that point on, you can call into uh, the generated code, which is uh, called a UI map that generates the code. And then when you call into that code, it will just actually exercise the clicks or the things that you've done uh, during the recording session. Now, is this browser-specific? I, I, it has to be for testing web pages? Now, the, the great thing about Coded UI is it's uh, tec technology agnostic. So you can do anything uh, which is Win32 or Windows Forms. So if you still have Windows Forms applications, you can use the exact same technology. Um, it also works for WPF, um, and it works for XAML store-based applications, uh, and, of course, the web applications as well. Yep. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. It's a That's lot. a lot. Yeah, it's really a lot. And and the the great thing is that uh, since uh, what is it, Visual Studio Update One of 2012, they also support cross-browser uh, playback. So you record in IE only, and then you play back against Chrome or Firefox or IE. So I'm trying to think of how a UI test might work in a uh, you know in a WPF app that might provide a challenge to to you, like uh, you know if you're if you're trying to measure whether or not oh i don't know that when you press a button a you know a certain 
uh, video file plays or an audio file plays. I mean, how can you how can you measure that? I mean, it has, it has to be something that you can measure with code, obviously, right? Yes. So one of the things that's important to know is that when you try to build these tests, you shouldn't use it like a hammer and a nail. I mean, uh, when you're doing UI stuff, you really should test for things that happen in the UI. So I see a lot of people when they start using this technology is, uh, for example, uh, um, validate if business rules uh, yield the right results. But that's not what this tool is intended to be for. It, it's, it's more uh, to use, for example, to test if the color was right of a negative value. Or uh, you, you know what I'm getting at? It's, hmm. it's more like the UI differences that you would like to test on. So, so if you would go about and say, well, I would like to play back a video or something like that, um, the thing that you can do is uh, um, you get a, a handful of controls that you can go against. So let's say it's WPF, then there's a whole uh, uh, set of controls in the WPF uh, namespace. And those controls, I, I more or less refer to them as search controls. That They have this interaction with the actual WPF control. So you're not sure. programming against the control, but against an intermediate layer, uh, which Microsoft um, implements on Windows. So what you will have is you will, for example, instantiate, let's say, uh, a WPF button control. And then what it will do is it will use the uh, so-called UIA layer within Windows, which is the user interface automation layer, uh, to play against that button. So it simulates the click there. Now, what, what's great about this is that you can search for any control that's on the screen uh, at that moment. You can do that based on, uh, let's say, the X name, uh, which you have in, uh, in WPF. Mm -hmm. And then it can find that control for you, and you can query that control as well. So you can query it for the fact that it's still on the screen, or that yep. it's gone on the screen, or uh, that it's, uh, if you have a playback control, that it's at a certain position, for example. Sure, yeah. Enabled, disabled, whatever the source is. Yeah, right. okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that makes total sense. Wow, that's really, really amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and to come back to the, the, uh, the question that you guys ha uh, had from uh, one of the people uh, uh, on the other shows is that when you have, for example, a set of tests that you would like to run to, let's say more like a data-driven test, um, then the great thing about MS Test is that you can also do data-driven tests there. And what it will do then is that you can, let's say, use an XML file or an Excel file to drive your test with a set of tests that you would like to run. So uh, what you could do is, for example, create an Excel sheet where you say, well, these are the controls that I'm looking for. These are the values that you would like to punch into those uh, controls. And then you could make, uh, let's say, a data-driven test based on that Excel spreadsheet driving against the coded UI object model. And this is one of the things that I've done for uh, a couple of customers lately, um, that they, they bought a, um, a box product for uh, pension funds, for example, or uh, a loan uh, um, uh, registrations. And um, they have to run through this application each time the vendor provides a new version and they need to test if, for example, the, the process that they use uh, still uh, is valid. So then we have about uh, uh, two, three hundred arguments that we need to punch into those fields um, uh, running through the application, running through that whole process. And we use Excel sheets for that uh, with uh, different uh, sheets, different tabs on there with the data on there. And then we can read that out from um, um, the test context uh, data connection property. And then you can use like um, Excel uh, um, ADO.NET Excel kind of queries uh, against the Excel sheet and then drive your UI test from that. So apparently there's a whole ecosystem around this. There's the uh, CUITE coded UI test enhanced framework out there on CodePlex, right? 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and that's uh, more like a code-first approach. Yeah, so okay. that's the stuff that I like more than using the, the, the recordings, yeah. So uh, tell us about that and some of these other things. So, so what you see is that uh, the Code UI test framework on CodePlex um, extends on the automation model that you get from Coded UI. So what they done is they made more or less a convenient object model uh, on top of Coded UI that helps you write the, the tests in a more easy way. Um, I would say, mm-hmm. um, and it just um, gets away f- uh, from some of the boilerplate code that you normally uh, uh, need to uh, build yourself. Um, and then uh, there are different other tools out there as well uh, in the in the open source space. But I must say that I more or less uh, uh, try to use the bare bone product uh, as it comes from Microsoft because there is also a, a lot of stuff in there that not really needs additional frameworks to uh, get used well. Okay. Yeah, the thing with the um, open source one is that, uh, for what I recall, I, I, I've not looked it up uh, lately, but uh, for what I recall, is that the latest version is about a year old, I think. Okay. So there were not many commits to it anymore. I see. You like to stick with what's in the box. Well, the thing is that when you stick with what's in the box, and um, by the way, don't build your own frameworks around it uh, right away, but just use it as it is. Um, you see that you don't have uh, so much dependencies on, on stuff that other people do. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, when you want to upgrade, let's say, to 2014, uh, when they make some subtle changes, uh, then you can just upgrade fine uh, within a few steps. And otherwise, you need to wait for the other frameworks to come on parity with that as well. And mm. sometimes that takes a long time. Yeah, that for me is the biggest challenge with building out test infrastructure for your application is how much of it survives you moving to a new version of your Mm -hmm. application. How does the framework cope with breaking tests and, and dealing with those kinds of changes? Yeah, so, so what you see is that Coded UI has uh, a lot of what they call search uh, options that you can specify. So they have a whole bunch of heuristics av- about finding controls. So uh, normally when you have, let's say, uh, a window, and that window is titled, let's say, uh, My Window Title. And then what you see is that if you have, for example, a shopping basket, that you might now have something like My Window Title and then uh, within columns uh, or within uh, brackets two. Now, all of a sudden, you could not find that uh, control anymore because the title has changed. Mm-hmm. Now, Code, code UI uh, knows how to manage that. So they have this fallback mechanism that they can try different heuristics uh, to find the controls. Uh, and based on that, you will see that your test will run a little bit slower, but it still will run. And um, one of the great things I think about Code UI is that they have a whole lot of diagnostics in there. So you can specify with just one statement that you would like to have a step-by-step log uh, where your co- test is running through and you get even screenshots and, and all the um, additional messages um, uh, regarding what it tried to search for and what it found. And there you can see that it, it did a fallback on uh, another algorithm to find the control and it will warn you that and will say that, well, um, I found a control. It might be a false positive in that case uh, because it's not an exact match. Um, but I did find this control for you and um, you might want to clean up your tests um, so that uh, next time you will have a, a tighter match and therefore better performance. You know, I also noticed that Telerik has um, give, put coded UI test, um, coded UI support in their WPF tools. Yeah. And I guess in some of their other tools as well. So this yeah, is Telerik, a- um, Infragistic as well. Uh, and what they need to do is they need to build their custom property providers for their custom control. So uh, the whole um, uh, architecture behind coded UI is that you can 
build in these plugin property providers mm-hmm. um, that then show up properties that are a convenient way into your control so that you don't have to dive into all the uh, different controls that that particular controls build uh, uh, is, is uh, built up of uh, in, in different layers, right? Wow, yeah. sure is very cool. Yeah. Goes all the way back to Windows Forms, too. They have WinForms uh, controls that are completely testable as well. Yep. Who knew? Yeah. I mean, you've been calling it coded UI all along, but it looks like I don't have to just test UI, right? Uh, right. You're not, you're not obligated to do that. So uh, the, the great thing is you can combine anything you'd like. It's just an MS test. The only thing you do is add an additional attribute above it that states that it's coded UI so that the runner gets initialized, and that's the only thing. And then you just have an object model that you can program against, but you can do anything you'd like. You can even uh, reset your databases or do any stuff you need to do to run your tests there. Yeah. Hmm. You know, you generally hear people making fun of MS tests. Maybe they just haven't looked at the latest features. Uh, yeah, that's that's certainly true. So you su- you saw that when Microsoft came out with MS Test that uh, a lot of people thought, well, it's just a rehash of NUnit that time. Um, but you see that they they uh, really stepped up and tried to make it a better product uh, step by step. And uh, uh, I must say that of course uh, uh, NUnit and all the other frameworks out there still have a, have a very valid place. And um, for example, um, adding the parameters on top of your method is still not something supported by MS Test. But you can right. there instead use the data driven test for that and and get the results out of that as well. Mm -hmm. So it's just a different approach. Um, And yeah, it's just a different flavor that I think is great that's just out-of-the-box supported and you don't have to search around for any other frameworks. Any particular tricks to doing uh, layer-level isolated tests? So I want to just test the UI, but I don't want to exercise the back end, that, that sort of thing? Yeah, there there are multiple approaches to that, of course. So it's just a matter of, uh, for example, using DI containers and switching uh, uh, mocks and stops in there uh, instead of the actual uh, repositories. Uh, And, of course, you can use the fakes and stops uh, modules there, which are part of the, I think, these days also premium uh, on the the Microsoft uh, Visual Studio SKUs. Yeah. And and that way you can just swap out uh, the classes that you normally use to access your database or or exercise anything that's underneath your UI, and then um, based on that just drive your UI as you as you as you go along. Okay. Um, one of the one of the things that I've used in the past also pretty frequently is to, and that's has especially to do with with um, finding out why uh, certain tests did not run uh, for others. Uh, what I've done is just use uh, Fiddler. Uh, and in Fiddler, you can uh, make a capture of all the traffic that goes through your web server and then replay it. Right. And, the fu- and the fun thing is that it will then just generate the UI as it was at that person's machine. Uh, mm. And then I can just drive against uh, that UI without having any backend infrastructure, just against Fiddler. Hmm. Great for a web app. Yeah, that's only, great though. for a web app. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. Um, what about mobile? Any solution there for, for mobile devices? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, not that I am aware of at the moment. Um, so, for what I know, is that Coded UI goes in uh, the area of uh, um, the Windows 8 App Store uh, apps. So, you can do the XAML based App Store and not right. the HTML based versions. Uh, but it's not, uh, I think, mobile as you address it. Um, I guess that you're also talking about iOS and, and Android uh, apps. And um, there are some pretty cool tools out there like uh, Xperia Test, uh, which is one of the test tools that 
that uh, are used at one of the banks that I work for. And they have a, a great solution where you also can code in MS Test. Um, they have an object model that you can program against. And the other thing is that they also support this notion of a device cloud. So you can set up your own device cloud. And that means that you can have multiple devices in your own environment or in your own organization and then set them up um, more or less in your data center. And then people can use those devices out of that device cloud, which is internally in your organization. And, um, and they... Just, uh, I, I'm not sure how it actually works. I, uh, I only saw it in, in, the, in the demos that uh, we've been doing in the bank because I wanted to integrate it with uh, Microsoft Test Manager, uh, which is uh, also part of the Visual Studio Premium tools. Right. And then you can drive the functional tests and then run the automated tests just using Xperia Test. Nice. And that's, and that's, by the way, something you can do with Coded UI as well. So what I just told, talked about doing the data-driven test for this big uh, um, uh, common off-the-shelf product, uh, what we've done there is that you can write your Coded UI test and then run a command line tool called um, uh, tcm.exe. And if you run tcm.exe, it will create test cases in Microsoft Test Manager for each coded UI test that you created. And then the fun thing is, is that you can have a functional person or a functional tester making more or less buckets that uh, support certain sets of tests. So, like I said, for example, certain processes or certain products that they have and categorize those. And then he can run from the Microsoft Test Management environment um, the coded UI tests uh, using the whole test infrastructure that comes with uh, the Microsoft uh, ALM tools, which is uh, uh, pretty, uh, pretty awesome if you set it up in your environment. You can do a lot of stuff with that. Is that also approach to be able to break down your test block so you could run across multiple machines to speed up the testing process? Exactly, yeah. So what you can do is you use lab management there. Um, in lab management, you can set up uh, different test machines. Right. And uh, what you can do is you can set up different configurations in uh, the Microsoft Test Manager environment and then say, well, I would like to push out these tests to these machines. And it will figure out which machines are available in your test rig setup. And based on that, it will just pick the right machines and run those tests there, uh, accumulate the results, and then report that back as one report for your test run each night. Nice. Hey, Richard. Yes, sir. You know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep. Time to test the dumb joke generator UI with extreme mocking. <laughs> 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 oh, good mocking reference. Yeah, thanks. I got Marcel to laugh, too. Nice. Yeah. You know how hard it is to get a developer to laugh sometimes? <laughs> it's pretty hard. I it know it from hard. the conferences. I mean, if I talk, do talks at conferences, it's pretty hard to get people laughing. I so. mean, because, you know, we're all like, really? That's it? That's, it? That's what you it's got? Well, yeah. especially in Europe. If you go to Europe and talk in conferences there, it's very hard to get very people hard. laugh. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's actually time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who today's winner is, let's talk about the Telerik platform. This is the only modular platform that combines a rich set of UI tools with powerful cloud services to develop web, hybrid, and native apps. You can develop in the browser, on your desktop, or using Visual Studio, using a variety of language technologies, .NET, Java, HTML5, and JavaScript, and PHP. So check it out at Telerik.com slash platform, and don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. All right, buddy, who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Tola Chown from Surrey. Congratulations, Tola. Yeah. Golf clap for you. Tola just won a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. That's just about everything Telerik does in one box. 
It's a $2,000 value. If you don't know what we're talking about, of course, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and we give away stuff in every show. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member. Marcel, if you had five grand to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? Yeah, I've been looking around for that. And um, what I came up with is uh, the Asus ZenBook. I really like that uh, new ZenBook. Um, uh, they got some nice machines. I got yes. one. I got the one. only I problem I found is that it's uh, only 8 gigs because that's pretty low on memory if you run a lot of virtual machines. But um, Yeah, I wouldn't be running that, virtual machines uh, on, a, on a ZenBook. Nope. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I think I would spend my money on that one. Yeah. It's yeah, not I, eight. That's not five grand, though. I think that they're only about fifteen hundred bucks, aren't they? They're no, about a little two thousand. Uh, yeah, two thousand dollars if you have the five twelve uh, SSD. Right. Yeah. You need more okay. toys, Marcel. More toys. Yeah, I know, but I couldn't come up with anything else. I would love to get a new phone. Uh, I still have the nine twenty uh, that they gave away at Build. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, well. I, I was thinking of having a new Nokia phone because uh, I really love those. Do you like? The, well, it's, you can spend a, up to a grand on that. Like the ten twenty out of contract, I think it's about eight hundred bucks. Uh, about five, five or six, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Although still it's money almost, left there. The, the ten twenty is almost long in the tooth now. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and the, they also have this very nice tablet nowadays, uh, Nokia, uh, with uh, also four uh, G uh, support. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so that would be more like a complimentary package then. There <laughs> so you go. Have, have the new tablet, have the phone, and then have uh, the new uh, Zen The book. mobile yeah. package. I like yeah. it. There you yeah. go. And the ZenBook. I, I have the ZenBook and I love it. Yeah. It's great. I have the Samsung equivalent, the Active 9. Yeah, that. I've looked at that one as well. It's very awesome. happy with it. It's very, nice machines. It's very sleek. You know, you can slice tomatoes with it. Yeah, you, get, <laughs> you get addicted to these thin light solutions. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Same with that MacBook Air, right? There was this video where they sliced apples with it. So, yeah, yeah. it was pretty cool. <laughs> Richard actually opened a box with his once, I think, didn't you? <laughs> yes, at your insistence, as I recall. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> it did work. Great. All right, let's dive back into this. Uh, because I've had my, my experience of having folks dive into a test framework, try to get into automated testing and so forth, is that it's very easy to, to make mistakes. Maybe you could give us some hints about the right things to build and the right way to build them so they're sustainable. Yeah, sure. So so one of the important things, and this is what I will touch on uh, or which I touch on in my course as well, is, is building uh, an automation framework that is resilient for the changes that you have in your UI. Right. And for that, um, I can really recommend using a pattern called uh, the page object pattern. Uh, the, this pattern is uh, first um, written down by the people from uh, that are more in the Selenium community. And the idea here is that you take your UI apart and uh, uh, look at what are different parts of my UI, and for each part of the UI, you build a so-called page object. And now this page object will then reflect the whole uh, separation of the actual UI and where you program against. So it, it's the abstraction layer that you talk against. And what you will do is, in each page object, for all the actions that you have on the screen, so an action is, for example, pushing a button, or clicking a hyperlink, or uh, actually doing something in the UI. And for that, you will create a method that will return a page object again. And if you do this, then you will get uh, a whole set of objects that you can run through, and because each action method returns a new page object, it will provide you with a Fluent API. 
So now all of a sudden you can build test scenarios which are fluent. Um, so um, following the DAM principle, be, meaning uh, descriptive and meaningful phrases for your test scenarios. And then when your UI changes, you know exactly which part of your UI changed. And based on that, you can make simple small changes to only that piece of abstraction that abstracts away that part of your user interface. And your test scenarios will keep running the same way as they did before. And um, it's a very nice way of making it more maintainable. And um, that's what we've um, done in one of those big projects. And we see now that it really pays off to do it that way. Is this something I really have to do at the beginning of a project? Or can I, can I brownfield this? Can I retrofit this into an existing app? Yeah, so, so there are multiple approaches to that. So if, if you take, for example, uh, if you would use the recording technology, uh, what you could do is then say, well, I just record my UI tests, uh, and you start off with uh, recording also the action sequences, so like clicking away in your application. Now, when you do this, uh, you will see that um, uh, when you make changes to uh, your UI, you need to re-record each and every time. And what you could do at that point in time is say, well, I'm not going to record uh, the actual action sequences anymore, but I will stick to only searching for the controls which are recorded. So the search more or less for the control. Right. And then and then you build up multiple UI maps. So a UI map is such a recording file. And you build multiple UI maps for the parts of your application that you go through. And then the, the, the thing with Code UI is it will generate a partial class and you can then in your par- other side of the partial class create some convenience methods that more or less are like the page object pattern and there provide convenience methods to go through your UI. And that you can then gradually build up uh, from the ground up. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I like this idea of being able to slide in and piece by piece start to build good testing around stuff that's still resilient enough that as updates come, it doesn't break everything. Yeah, so, so one of my recommendations is that, especially for agile teams, is that when you are in a sprint, you just use the record and playback option for that particular sprint when you right. build that, that UI. And then once you're one or two sprints after that, when your UI has stabilized in that part, you will add an additional story for the UI automation page objects for there. And then uh, when that's done, you then uh, more or less retrofit after the fact in other sprints, and then you will build up gradually a very resilient uh, UI object model to program against. Marcel, is there any type of app that is just not testable? Well, um, if you take a look from the coded UI perspective, then Java apps are not testable yet. Um, You need for that uh, a different uh, plugin. Um, For that, you could use, for example, FrogLogic. Uh, FrogLogic has a plugin, uh, and you can uh, build... um, It does not have a plugin in coded UI, but it does have a framework that you can code against um, in JavaScript or in Python or um, other languages. And then you can still incorporate it in Microsoft Test Manager. Um, But... uh, no, Java apps are pretty hard to do at this moment um, because there's not a real driver for it. If you if you take a look at the architecture of Coded UI, they have this notion of drivers, and uh, they have drivers for WinForms, they have drivers for uh, XAML, and they have drivers for web. But you've never uh, seen an app, uh, a WPF, a Windows app, or an, a web app that was written in such a way or um, you know did something that just made it by its nature difficult or impossible to test. Yeah, so if, if you take a look at Windows controls or Windows Forms applications, if you do a lot of owner-drawn, so you, you draw your own UI, right. then it's pretty hard to uh, uh, find the controls and find the parts of the UI that you're really And a lot of those old apps, we did draw our own UI for performance reasons. <laughs> right. So yeah. that, that's where it becomes tricky. 
Yeah. yeah. And and um, what might become tricky is if you've used other frameworks in the past, so like uh, Borland uh, uh, Object Windows Library, for example, or other libraries that did not use the actual Windows controls, but they painted their own controls, uh, like uh, Oracle Forms and that kind of stuff. That That's pretty hard. It's still Win32, but it's pretty hard to find the actual classes, that uh, window classes that you need to look for and find the actual UI there. So it, it, it more or less comes down to uh, did the frameworks that you use to build the UI um, work nicely with the different uh, technologies that Microsoft has in the OS for uh, accessibility, so uh, MSAA or UIA uh, technology. What about testing the behavior of different browsers for your website? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like I said, for from uh, Visual Studio uh, 2012 Update 1, they support now uh, cross-browser playback. Right. So what, what that means is you can build uh, your tests um, against the object model or record or playback, whatever you'd like. And then uh, once you play back, the only thing that you need to do is set... Um, so when you start a browser, you use this object called uh, browser window. And then you do a browser window launch, and then you launch the URL that you would like to test. Now, before that statement, you need to set the current browser property to be Chrome or Firefox, and that way it will swatch, uh, swap um, the actual uh, browser for you. And uh, what you will see is that uh, your test will fail if your UI does not look uh, uh, the same um, in those different browsers. So hmm. uh, when you have all kinds of rendering issues and the controls are not visible, uh, Coded UI will detect that a control is on the screen, but for example, it overlays with something else, and it will not click at that point in time. It will just throw an error. It'll yeah. fail. Yep. And so you build the test once, and you could actually just configure to run on each of the different browsers. Yeah. So but that means uh, the you- test machine does have to have all those browsers installed. Exactly. So okay. you're, in your test rig, you set up a, a set of machines that have Chrome or Firefox on there as well. And what you can do is, I, I, got, I wrote a blog post on that as well, is that uh, you can get from your test context uh, the MTM uh, lab environment information. And what based on that, you could say, well, I have this configuration option, uh, set of configuration, so I would like to run this against Windows 8 with Chrome, for example, and I would like to have this configuration, which is Windows 8 with Firefox. And then you can read from the test context uh, so-called underscore underscore TF variables, which are from Team Foundation Server, and there you can read out the, the test configuration that's currently running on that machine. And based on that, you could switch browsers in your uh, 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 launch statement um, and then switch browsers uh, as needed. Nice. Hmm. Yeah. When it just gets back to this idea that it, it works on this browser, it doesn't work on that browser, and actually capturing all of that. Yeah, and, and you see these days that it's, it's more and more important. Now that Google has forked uh, WebKit, uh, you see that um, there are more errors than in the past. So, um, yeah, it's really important. And especially with all the uh, developers uh, liking Chrome uh, or, uh, more than IE and still uh, end users using IE a lot more, right. uh, you, yeah. you really see that it's required. Um, just a, a few uh, weeks ago, I wanted to buy a birthday cake uh, in a shop, uh, an online shop for in, in the Netherlands, and I was not able to click on the buy button when you have IE. Uh, it was just impossible, so they didn't even test for that. So yeah, I, ha- uh, I had a I had a Microsoft site that will remain nameless that did not function correctly on <laughs> IE eleven. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You see, it. so it's so common these days that developers run Chrome uh, as the browser to do all their testing. Right. And then uh, it really makes sense to set up this test rig with at least IE in there as well and see if stuff renders on that um, uh, 
I have I have I have the problem in both directions. I have sites that won't run in Chrome as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, every just every once in a while, you get these weird problems, and you know yeah. they're they're not the standard things like the pop up blocker or whatever. They just just seem to be these weird uh, anomalies. Yeah, it's, it's I th- in my opinion, it's becoming worse, but I'm not sure if, if that's the same right. you guys experience. No, I think you're right. Uh, maybe it's just because there's more more yeah. sites on the web and more people doing web development now than there ever were. But um, maybe that's it. Yeah. I don't know. Well, you, you saw like, what was it, five or six years ago, uh, all developers were still using IE, and you see that was a preference towards IE, and now you see that all developers are using uh, more or less Chrome, and you see that based on that, you see uh, a tendency to that stuff works better in Chrome. Um, but it's, you, you always see that developers um, um, flock to a certain uh, technology and prefer that, and based on that, as, as an end user, you're more or less host. But it's, uh, it, it, it's fickle, though. You know, it changes. Yeah. I got yeah, nothing to say bad about Firefox either. You know, all three of them are good browsers. Yeah, they they've all got some utilization, at least to some degree. But uh, yeah, I, I I also wonder for this part of this problem is that the web developers right now are pushing themselves hard to figure out HTML5. I mean, HTML's clearly gone through a major change, and so it's all they can do to get it working on one browser, much less working on all of them. Yeah, and the thing is that all people are more or less using jQuery, and they think that that will abstract everything away from you, and right. that's not the case. Uh, unfortunately, there's still edge cases that you really need to take into account yourself. Yeah, so, it's yeah. not it's not actually transparent. No, not at all. And I don't know who's necessarily doing it wrong. You know, like I've, I've had folks who say, well, it works in Chrome because Chrome influences HTML correctly, i.e., because it doesn't work, clearly doesn't. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I, I try to keep out of those uh, more like politi- political discussions. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, to me, it's more like a, a personal preference, and you see that people get passionate about it. And based on that, they want to make an argument, but I think both arguments, or both sides of the argument, are valid. So, so, so I got to ask these questions. When. Do you hit a wall with uh, coded UI and have to go to some other tool? I mean, clearly people are using other tools. They're not even aware of this stuff. And wh- where, do, where does it fall down? And, and where is it not appropriate? So, so one of the things that uh, coded UI is, is not uh, as good at as, for example, Selenium is performance. So if you run a coded UI test, it will take up a little bit more time to run the test than when you use Selenium. So that is one of the, the things that people might say, well, I would like to go for Selenium there. But um, to be honest, um, um, the, the stuff that I tried and the, and the stuff that I work with with customers, most of the stuff was pretty well doable with coded UI. Um, one of the things that, for example, is, is always a, a problem when you uh, use technologies like Selenium because it's browser-based only. It's more like a plug-in in, uh, in, in your browser. Mm, right. Is that when, when you get, uh, for example, a Windows dialog, there's just no way in Selenium to get, away, get rid of that dialog. You need to use other technologies for that. Mm-hmm. And the fun thing about Coded UI is that at that point, you just switch to a different uh, uh, technology, uh, different control type that you search for, and then you can still click away that button or you can log on with your log-on credentials or you could uh, even select certificates if you want to which is just a Windows dialog, which will pop up mm. uh, when selecting those. So, um, But 
if it comes to terms of when uh, do you hit a brick wall with, with coded UI, I think it's more, it more has to do with the fact if a certain technology actually works with the, um, uh, um, the uh, accessibility APIs from Microsoft. If, if it's not tied into that accessibility uh, API, uh, so uh, those frameworks are uh, then hard to test because it's very hard to find those controls. And sure. I, would, I would refrain from uh, trying to uh, get stuff by position or XY coordinates on your screen oh, yeah. because that will, will fall down very easily. You're asking for it. Yep. Yeah, you really do. Yeah, very small changes will make everything break. Uh, the um, And that's always, a, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've been in projects where the correct answer now is to throw away the whole testing implementation we've, that we've done. Yeah, and, and what I've seen, what I've also seen is that, and that's a, a very common error people make, is that they uh, do searches like they do in jQuery. So what they do is they search oh. for a control on their cascading style sheet class, for example. Right now, what is the first thing that changes when you do a UI refresh? All the classes will be gone, or they yep. will be renamed. So that means that you cannot find your controls anymore. Um, other things that I've seen is that people tend to search for the inner text of controls, for example. Well, that's fun if you're only in the U.S., but it's not so much fun if you're in Europe. I mean, if you do multilingual uh, support, it's just impossible to test the other uh, languages at that point in time. So those are the, the common mistakes people make, and I always try, uh, if, if you're the sole owner of the software, please, please, please work with your developers that build the UI and let them, for example, build the page object so that they learn themselves when they need to inject IDs in the UI uh, and have proper naming on their controls so that it can be easily found. And that's um, what page so object really does is let you surface that you haven't tagged these things properly. Exactly. So, so the, the thing here is that, uh, especially when you're using small teams with sprints, is your developer who is responsible for the UI, you make him responsible for the coded UI uh, page object as well. Right. And um, based on that, your test will keep, uh, always keep running even if they change the UI at that point in time because the developer will fix up the page object at that point in time as well. Um, and that's just one of the things that works really well in teams. Yeah, just mean if you maintain that mechanism, then the tests are pretty painless. You separate the two. Yeah. Where, where yeah. do you fall on the whole? You know, developers own their own unit tests. Then. Uh, I'm not sure if I quite follow what you're asking here. Well, you I mean you're talking about the developer building the page needs to own the page object, which opens the door to other people can build tests for it. Right, uh, and that's, you know. that's true. Because because with the page objects, you can have... I, I even have people that are really functional testers that right. only don't, don't write any C-sharp code. Yep. But because when you build up such a page object model, then you get this fluent API. And the only thing they need to know is the start object that they will start with. And then they can just use the dot operator to find all the actions on that on that particular uh, UI element. Right. And based on that, they can just more or less navigate through the objects just using the dot operator. So I even have functional people more or less writing C-sharp code just by pressing the dot button in Visual Studio. And mm. they, they comprise the whole uh, test uh, scenarios there. Yeah, IntelliSense uh, is your friend. Exactly. IntelliSense will help uh, people that... Uh, they, they cannot actually write C-sharp code, but they're still doing that more or less in this fluent API now. Yeah. So, how long is your um, your uh, Pluralsight course? 
Uh, it's about five hours if you go end-to-end, -end, but I've written it in such a way that you can just pick out modules you'd like and, and review just stuff that uh, is actually in need for your current project. So uh, if you want to go it end-by-end, -end, that's fine, but you can also say, well, I'm only interested in cross-browser playback, and there's a whole module on that. Or I'm interested in, uh, let's say, uh, more the introductionary stuff, like uh, what's the architecture, how does it work? Or um, um, I've got one module particularly on all the search configuration options that you can set for playback and, and the resilience of playback and finding controls faster or disabling caching or uh, making hover happen on the screen so that certain drop-downs will show. And, and, uh, wow. Uh, yeah. Sounds like the uh, – and about the fundamentals, learning the fundamentals of it doesn't sound like it would take too long. No, I, I think fundamentals is about 45 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I'm really glad to hear you talk about stuff like Hover and so forth, because an awful lot of browser simulators are just grabbing the underlying HTTP to send the commands up, which doesn't really exercise the behavior of the UI. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things that you need to be very aware of when you write these tests, that these tests actually really replay what the end user is doing instead right. of trying to grab into the DOM and just manipulating objects in the DOM because that's not what your user will see. Um, and, and that way, uh, your test will not yield the same result as an end user really clicking, clicking this stuff. No cheating. No cheating at all. Right. But it also and, means and, that the tests are going to run slower because you are executing against browser instances. Like, all that stuff takes time. It, it does take time, but it's way, way faster than somebody sitting <laughs> behind the screen and clicking this stuff. Uh, if you see how, how fast it flies through the forms, uh, there's no way you can punch in that much data right. in such little time. First so. world problems, right? Oh, yeah, sure. But I don't know that I want to go this route to do a load test. No, no, no. For load testing, you should use way different mechanisms. This right. is not a way to do a load test. There, are, So it's part of Visual Studio as well. If you have yeah. Ultimate, you have load testing. And it's really great tool uh, that you can have, uh, which uh, which you can exercise your website as if it were used by different uh, people with different browsers coming from different bandwidths. Uh, it even simulates the bandwidths uh, on the test machines. It's, it's really great stuff. Yeah. And they now have this, this, this load testing in the cloud as well. So you can exercise your website from multiple data centers from measure and you yep. can run all these tests from the cloud as well right i don't have to have host the vms myself uh if you if you talk about uh, the load testing stuff yeah so then it will r just run uh, in the cloud what about uh, coded ui so coded ui uh, requires you to have uh, an interactive logon on the test machine okay. so uh, and that's not supported at the moment uh with the official studio online uh, stuff not even with just the microsoft vms the azure vms well if, if you just have a set of VMs, that's not a problem. But the only thing that you need to do is then install the test agents on there right. and ensure that the ports are open, that you can communicate. Uh, there are a certain set of ports that you need to open up to communicate uh, with your own Team Foundation server on-prem. Mm -hmm. And uh, based on that, uh, you can set it to have interactive logon and uh, um, the... Um, um, and the, yeah, and then it will just log on as the account that you uh, find appropriate for that uh, particular machine to run on. Yeah. Marcel, it's been so great talking to you. Yeah, it's been my pleasure and my honor. Thanks for enlightening us. This is great stuff. Yeah, you're welcome. It's a really pleasure to talk about this stuff because, like you said, it's just not well known by a lot of people. Great. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks.
Dotnet Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a...